I'll be reading from the fifth chapter of Mark from the common English translation of the Bible, the Gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. According to St. Mark, listen for the word of the Lord. Jesus crossed the lake again, and on the other side a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Jairus, one of the synagogue leaders, came forward. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded with him, My daughter is about to die. Please come and place your hands on her so that she can be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A swarm of people were following Jesus, crowding in on him. A woman was there who had been bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a lot under the care of many doctors and had spent everything she had and wasn't getting any better. In fact, she had gotten worse. Because she had heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothes. She was thinking, if I can just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Her bleeding stopped immediately, and she sensed in her body that her illness had been healed. At that very moment, Jesus recognized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, don't you see that the crowd is pressing against you, yet you're going to ask who touched me? But Jesus looked around carefully to see who had done it. The woman, full of fear, and trembling came forward. Knowing what had happened to her, she fell down in front of Jesus and told him the whole truth. He responded, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace, healed from your disease. While Jesus was still speaking with her, messengers came from the synagogue leader's house saying to Jairus, Your daughter has died. Why bother with this teacher any longer? But Jesus overheard their report and said to the synagogue leader, don't be afraid, just keep trusting. He didn't allow anyone to follow him except Peter, James, and John, James's brother. They came to the synagogue leader's house and he saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, what's all this commotion and crying about? This child isn't dead, she's only sleeping. They all laughed at him, but he threw them all out of the house. Then. Taking the child's parents and his disciples with him, he went to the room where the child was. Taking her hand, he said to her, Talitha whom, which means young woman, get up. And suddenly the young woman got up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. They were shocked. And Jesus gave them all strict orders that no one should know what happened. And then he told them to give the girl something to eat. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. The progress that you see here on our incredible organ casework has been quite a thrill to observe throughout this week. It's all gone up in one week. At least two nights this week, my wife Susan and I, we we sort of snuck in the back here. I mean, we have keys and all, but we still sort of snuck in the back here after about 9 o'clock to check on the New Holland crew just to see how they were doing and just to gain a scope of all this. And throughout the week, I've been blown away by, by this idea that God has given this beautiful mind of an architect 
like John Hunter Foshi, this design, and it's been put onto paper. And that paper has been put into a sawmill where a single piece of white oak it becomes something so glorious as this. These crews, the New Holland crew and the architect who designed it, Glenn and so many others, they're special because they can take something so ordinary like a piece of white oak lumber and turn it into this magnificent casework. So during this week, with that in mind, this whole process, and with today's text in mind, I've been thinking about a poem that was made familiar to me around seventh grade or so. A friend of mine gave me a collection of poems, uh, and she had marked several of her favorites. Mighty Casey at Bat, I love that one. Rudyard Kipling's If, I love that one. And then Myra Brooks Welch has written a poem called The Touch of the Master's Hand. It goes like this. "'Twas battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it hardly worth his while to waste his time on the old violin, but he held it up with a smile. "'What am I bid, good people?' he cried. "'Who starts the bidding for me? One dollar? One dollar do I hear two? Two dollars, who makes it three? Three dollars once, three dollars twice, going for three. But no. From the room far back, a gray-bearded man came forward and picked up the bow. Then wiping the dust from the old violin and tightening up the strings, he played a melody pure and sweet, as sweet as the angels sing. The music ceased and the auctioneer, with a voice that was quiet and low, said, what now am I bid for this old violin? And he held it aloft with the bow. One thousand, one thousand, do I hear two? Two thousand, who makes it three? Three thousand once, three thousand twice, going and gone, said he. The audience cheered, but some of them cried, we just don't understand. What's changed its worth, Swift came to reply, is the touch of the master's hand. And many a man with life out of tune, all battered and bruised with hardship, is auctioned cheap to a thoughtless crowd, much like that old violin. A mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He's going once, he's going twice, he's going and almost gone. But the master comes, and the foolish crowd never can quite understand the worth of a soul and the change that is wrought by the touch of the master's hand. I love that poem. I love the touch of the master's hands making all of this so beautiful. I love how in our story, our sermon series, we've been talking about people sitting at the feet of Jesus for the lessons from the master. But today, our story takes us to the hands of the master. And in just a few short verses throughout each of the gospels, we will again go to the hands and to the feet of Jesus who will offer us the ultimate form of healing. But what is in those hands? The final lesson in this series is two instances of pastoral care that are related to a quite complex topic, that is healing. And when the master comes, the foolish crowds still do not understand today the worth of a soul and the change that is wrought by the touch of the master's hand, but Jesus still comes. 
because some things are lost in this story. Illness does that. Death itself does that. And one way to frame or to think about healing, God's healing in this world today, is to think of lost being found or redeemed and restored. I don't know about you, but every time I read about Jesus' healing of someone in the Gospels, whether I say it aloud or think it subconsciously, uh, maybe we all ask similar questions. Well, what about me, Lord? Do you heal, heal in the world today still as you did way back then? What about the people I love? When is it my turn to be healed? When is it our turn to be healed? Have you ever asked those questions? Worship, by the way, is the very place to bring those questions with faith and with courage. Because every single person who's here, Lucas hit the nail on the head when he said, for this moment, at this time, with this construction of people, either in person or watching from abroad, God is working right now in the lives of all of us. We all need to find healing and wholeness in some way. Perhaps it's physical. Maybe it's mental. For all of us, it's spiritual at some point along the journey. But let's just say that we don't have any personal ailments. We must, at the very least, have enough courage, like the parent and the hemorrhaging woman in the story, to plow through the chaos, to plow through the noisy crowd long enough to find Jesus on behalf of our community to say, Lord, people are dying. Children are dying. Our community is hemorrhaging life. Heal us. Personally, communally, we need the touch of the Master's hand. And so with that, let's be honest about healing. Some people are healed in this world physically. Some people are not, at least not in the way for which we pray for ourselves and others to be healed. The child in the story was raised to life, but so many children are not. What about all of those lives lost in the horrific car wreck on I-65 a few days ago? What about the missing family members in the hotel that collapsed two days ago? Or if we think about this bleeding woman who was healed after 12 years of her ailment, but we know so many people are still struggling with daily debilitating diseases, trying to get out of bed and just focus how to make it one step. What gives, Lord? Or we think about the text from last week. Do you not care? As your pastor, I do not have all the answers to all of these questions, at least not in the post-enlightened, black and white, scientific way we'd like to know and to see and to claim and to stake how God heals in this world. But, but I do know some ways that God does heal in this world. In my previous appointment, I was involved in a program at a local gym run by a couple. The program was called Rock Steady boxing. Some of you know this to be part of my story. I, I did not, for the record, I did not put on the fancy glittery shining shorts and I did not lace up the gloves and I did not hit anybody in the head. I think I would lose my witness as a pastor if I did that, right? But in a small county seat town in lower Alabama, a boxing program was launched for persons living with Parkinson's disease for which there is not a cure. Like many ailments, Parkinson's disease leads to loss loss of mobility, 
loss of expression, loss of freedom, loss of identity. So what I've learned in working with that program is that a lot of about Parkinson's has to do with dopamine levels, the body's ability or inability to produce dopamine, but it's stored. And if you can just get people to move and to stretch, and sometimes we had to literally move and stretch their, their arms, and, and more often than not, the, the, the participants couldn't walk in the door without the care of others, but after an hour of stretching and boxing and moving and swinging, they could do so on their own accord. It was quite transformative for one's physical impairments. But what I learned in those many months of standing behind a punching bag, and they don't always hit the bag, by the way, and what I learned from listening to the stories of boxers who were living with Parkinson's is this truth, that people can be healed and not cured, and cured but not healed. Those boxers would never be cured of Parkinson's, but they were the most healed and whole human beings I've ever met in my life. And I have known people, and you have as well, who have battled and beaten cancer and overcome so many physical ailments and obstacles, but they still will never be healed because their soul is not right with God, or they're crossed up with other people. Their relationships need restoration. In a rock-steady boxing program in South Alabama, a new family formed, a new community of faith. And what I learned, I began to see that people are not healed from Parkinson's, but they're healed from the fear of Parkinson's. And they had such a renewed courage and finding a new community that never existed prior to that moment. Overcoming fear of loss is healing. In Jesus' world, the lines were drawn between clean and unclean. The entire uh, holiness code, uh, Levitical code of the Bible uh, tells us ways that a person is clean or unclean and the mechanisms by which one must undergo to be made ceremonially clean and restored to temple life and to worship life and to family life. To be unclean meant a person could not participate in temple, this, or community. And to even touch someone who was bleeding or Lord forbid to touch a corpse would be to defile one's self and to be deemed impure the system was set up to tell us who those persons were. It was not prepared for the touch of the master's hand. Jesus just kind of turned it all upside down and we've come to expect that from him at this point. And so here's this woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, unable to participate in community life or temple life. She was deemed unclean. To go near her was to make others unclean. This woman lived day after day in isolation. And I think there's more than just physical healing of an ailment that is going on here. I think spiritually and emotionally she had reached her breaking point. She was tired. Think about being isolated from family and friends and the general public. We've done it for a year. Think about doing it for 12 years. You 
have told me how you've longed for a fist bump or a handshake or a hug. And we're all beginning to find ways to reconnect with people. So you think about that level of isolation and that want for reconnection year after year. This woman, she pushes through the crowd without any concerns for whom she's touching, brushing up against, making them unclean. She should have kept her distance. She should have been more discreet. She was putting herself at risk, forcing her way to Jesus and contaminating others. Mark says that she threw herself at the feet of Jesus with fear and with trembling. Have you ever known sickness to make you do strange things? Touching the hem of a garment is unconventional. It's an act of desperation, but it worked because a little faith and a little bit of power changed her story. What was the code of conduct for how Jesus should have responded to her? She should have been coming through the crowd saying, unclean, unclean, can you imagine the shame of walking through your, your peers saying, I'm unclean day after day. What should Jesus have done? He should have pointed to her and said, she's unclean, watch out. Don't brush up against her. But that's not what he said. He said, daughter. He called her daughter. Just as precious as Jairus' own daughter who would later be raised, Jesus called this woman, daughter, he did not see her as a disease. He did not see her as a violation of religion or as a violation of civic law or even as an interruption to his day. He saw her as a person, as a child of God, as someone who had spent far too long in isolation. So yes, her hemorrhaging stopped, but more importantly, she finally had community and peace. So I ask you, which form of healing was the greater of the two? I also believe that Jairus' daughter was healed that day because Jesus saw a grieving family and their fear of being alone and their loss, again, loss of identity as their daughter was gone. And in both cases, Jesus never admonishes these outrageous requests. Instead, he praises their faith because hidden Beneath these miraculous healing stories is a deeper meaning between human beings who are socially distanced from one another due to de devastating ailments, due to death and grief and loss itself, but their bold requests of the master do not yield what we might expect, and that is anger or frustration from this chaotic day. Everyone was crowding around on Jesus, wanting his time, wanting his attention, wanting his power, wanting his touch. But Jesus, the king of love, my good shepherd is, he left the crowd because there were two lost sheep. And that's what Jesus does. I suppose the loss of identity is one of life's greatest fears. And so Jesus comes to give us all back that which we think is our identity is truly not. Jesus comes to give all of us back our truest identity. We like to, to put up markers or labels uh, identifying statements about who we are. 
or what identifies us, rich, poor, progressive, conservative, male, female, uh, Jew, Gentile, clean, uh, unclean, sinner, saint, Auburn, Alabama, whatever it is, we do it. There's a category for everyone. But maybe that's why Paul says in Christ alone, there is no east nor west, north, south, Jew, Greek, slave, free, male, female, all people are one in Christ Jesus. So the touch of the master's hand reaches to the pure and the impure because he is willing to defile himself over and over and over again to make you and me whole. And that's a lesson from the kingdom of God. It brings healing, it brings order, to all that to which we cling so tightly and call our identities. One preacher said of this text, she said it in this way, that anything we use to identify ourselves in this world runs the risk of becoming a, an idol. Whew. Money, position, education, abilities, moral superiority, you name it. Whatever it is we use to identify ourselves by the world's standards can become an idol. But listen, it will never ever love you back in the way that Jesus loves you back. You hear me? The idols, the labels that we create for ourselves, are they will never love us back. They will always let us down in a way that is so devastating, whereas Jesus is always faithful. That which we use to maintain safety and security will never confirm who we truly are. Pastor says, so while everyone else needed to call the bleeding woman impure, to call her unclean, to call her unholy, Jesus called her daughter. And in that one word, he tells her who she truly is. Even if that one word was painful to hear, because after so many years of being love-deprived and community-deprived and faithfulness-deprived from her family, it, it's painful to be healed in that way sometimes. Like when you get frostbite. Have you ever had your extremities hurt so badly because of the cold, and when the blood rushes to it, you finally are able to feel it? I wonder, as the love of God poured through her life, if she started tingling and burning. It says she felt her body healed. I wonder what it felt like. I wonder if it stung. Only the touch of the master's hand can give us our true identity and heal us in ways that are wrought by God's unconditional love. And so I've been thinking about the gospels today and the people Jesus chose to take up time with he selected a hodgepodge of disciples. We talked about them last week. But he had an encounter with a tax collector and a prostitute and a Gadarene demoniac and lepers and paralytics and the blind and the deaf and deniers and betrayers. And every single one of those persons who had an encounter with Jesus Christ found a new identity. Paul says they were a new creation, something brand new. So I just wonder, is it possible that what it truly means to be human in this world is to find an authentic relationship with God and with neighbor. They're not inseparable. 
When Jesus said, love God and love neighbor, they're one and the same. To love neighbor is to love God. To love God is to love your neighbor. So to be in authentic relationship, is that what it means to be human? It is the touch of the master's hand through the body of Christ. When we fall down on the floor and we need help getting up, it's that touch where we're reminded we're not alone. And what we do over and again, is, as Jason said, we reach down and we keep pulling up the person in need because we've been down there before ourselves, right? And when we cannot reach out and touch and pull somebody up to us anymore, in that moment we get down on the floor and we sit with them because the floor is a holy space where the kingdom of God works. The touch of the master's hand is found in those moments where we help one another find a place to belong. We, we find ways to overcome all that divides us and we look at the ground beneath all of our feet and say it's, it's common ground on which we are standing. And so when our faith is tested during moments when physical healing does not occur, God in that moment invites us to probe more deeply into what it means to be human. That during life's desperate moments, healing begins when one person invites another person to find peace in the storm. Or when someone is finally accepted after a string of disappointments. Or when moments, singular moments of despair are transformed into a moment of hope because Christ has overcome all things. Don't miss the fact, don't miss the fact that in this text, one healing happens in a home and the other healing happens on the street. I pray that we'll use that as a model this week as we think about the places where God is trying to form a new community and to bring healing and wholeness to mind, body, soul, life, and relationships. Let it begin in our homes and let it begin on the streets of our community. Would you pray with me? God, we give you thanks that Jesus is coming to give all of us a new identity by calling us son and daughter, brother and sister. We are all one in Christ. With just a little faith, Almighty God, give us courage to reach for the Master, but to discover that the Master is already reaching for us. Lord, I pray for our beloved family of God and that all who are listening would be loved because we know we all are. All honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forever. Amen.